Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So as 2019 comes to a close and we're looking forward to 2020, you, we often start asking, you know, what, what do we have to be grateful for in 2019? And then what are our hopes for this coming next year? Um, every year at this time, it's good to remember those good things that have happened and then to think about all the difficulty that has, we have been brought through in 2019. And then I can't help but I just get in a mode of start making plans and thinking about all the things I'd like to see accomplished in 2020. Rather, 25% of them get accomplished or 75%. I don't worry about that. I just enjoy the, the dreaming about what possibly could happen in the coming year. Well, this morning, I want to spend some time just being intentional and thinking about what, what are our prayers for this upcoming year? What do we want to see happen? And I would think that if we went around, we could fill books with all of the things we all individually would like to see happen in this coming year. Um, all the different ideas and, and dreams and relationships and, and good things we'd like to see happen. I was talking with a friend um, about all the Christmas activities that we'd been through and I was expressing to him just this reality of how this time of year seems to, I don't, without fail, put me like into overdrive of, of thankfulness for what's happened and, and, and hopes for the future. And we were, I was just listing off of the many things that I could be thankful for. But then I got to thinking about the difficulties where thankfulness is not such an easy attitude. I mean, we, we all live with a mixture of these things where we can look back over the year and say, yeah, there were these good things that happened, but and to various degrees of seriousness, we all have things in the past year we really didn't enjoy and, we, and that were really hard, hard things to go through. And the, the, my friend commented that he can understand why I was more thankful this year than other years. We hadn't discussed much of the, the sorrows of the year, but just kind of trying to be thankful. And it got me to thinking about, you know, every year has a mix of both of these things. And, and there have the years where there have been a greater presence, I guess you could say, of obvious trials in my life, um, there's years that there has been a mix of, of difficulty and, and, and goodness in those years. But there has always been and should be, hopefully, a deep thankfulness for both the triumphs and the trials that come in our life. Now, 
When I say thankfulness for the trials in our lives, I hope, obviously I don't mean thankful for the events in and of themselves. Um, this, it's, it, I'm not thankful for congenital heart defects. And we went through all of that four years ago. That's what we're gearing up for. We're just basically right on the date of, of Janice heart surgery and all the stuff that was going on that we're getting. It was actually New Year's Day, second, something like that. But anyway, uh, we're getting really close. My dates aren't the best. We're, getting, we're, right, we're right in the mix of all that four years ago. I'm not thankful for congenital heart defects. I'm not thankful for cancer, obviously. I'm not thankful for, for aneurysms that can steal a person's life way before their time. I'm not thankful for those events. But if we say we can only be thankful when those things are not happening to us, then our hopes for thankfulness in the future are on very shaky ground because we have no idea what 2020 holds for us, right? If, if we can only be thankful when those hard things are not happening, we have no certainty, certainty concerning the hopes and the thankfulness of our future. We don't know what this afternoon holds. I mean, honestly... We don't know what, what this afternoon holds. I, it's been surprising. You see people on a Sunday morning, and then you get a call later Sunday afternoon, some incredible tragedy has just taken place on their li- in their life. We don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, let alone for the whole of 2020. But we are commanded in places like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, that we are to be giving thanks always and for everything. It's a biblical command to be giving thanks in everything and always. But how can that actually happen? How can Paul say to be giving thanks at all times, always, and for everything? This apostle who went through the incredible trials that he went through, you read the book of Acts, and Paul's life was not a walk in the park. He didn't live the the cushy American life of, of having basically all of his needs met and just no worries. Paul's life was a life of trial. How can this apostle who went through so many of these trials and tribulations give thanks in all things? Well, look with me just briefly at one narrative. I want to, you're probably, you're probably familiar with it, but go to Acts chapter 5. And a little story time with Pastor Darren here. Acts chapter 5. We're going to read a large, a large narrative here that's just, it's confusing, how this happened, how this, how this occurs in the apostles' life. This is uh, page 1085 in your pew Bible, Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17. The high priest, this is after Christ has been crucified, raised, ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has fallen at Pentecost and the church, the New Testament, New Covenant church has been born and the apostles are going out spreading the good news of the gospel, testifying about who Jesus is and all that he has done and it's causing them all kind of trouble. In case in point, verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple. Speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. 
Someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching, and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Never good when you have a, a crowd of people that want to kill you. That's bad, bad. Verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For behold, these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Verse 40. And when they had called the, in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Before we get to verse 41, trial or triumph at this moment? This is trial. This is if they're looking at their, their year, whatever, 35, uh, 34, whatever it is, and they're looking forward to their year 30, 35. I'll use all the plans we've got for our next year. Uh, probably plans to be arrested, be put on trial, being persecuted. Probably not high on their list of these are the things I want to have happen to me. Yet this trial comes to them. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What's incredible about this story, right, is the rejoicing of these apostles. They, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. What's going on with them? How do they get to such a place that when the trials come in their lives, they find some way to rejoice? They find some way of thankfulness. And the answer is simply, what happened to them? The answer is that Jesus happened to them. They encountered the living God. They encountered the Christ, and they rejoiced triumphs and trials. They rejoiced in whatever was brought their way because they knew they were Christ's. That's the same heartbeat of Psalm 27, what we started out at. That's the same heartbeat of David that we find in Psalm 27. You can go back there and look at all of the difficulty that David is surrounded by. Now, commentators don't know when this psalm was written, 
Some suspect that it was written even before David ascended to the throne, which would make this really interesting if he's out on the lamb running from Saul when you know, Saul's trying to kill him and get rid of him. It'd be really interesting if he wrote that psalm then. But either way, you can see all the trouble that's coming against him. Hey, after verse 1, starting in verse 2, we see that evildoers are assailing him. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they, it is they who stumble and fall. There's an enemy, though an army, an enemy, though an army encamp against me, that's the word I'm looking for, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David is not, in these details, we see that David is not unfamiliar with difficulty. He's writing this psalm mentioning the many times that he's encountering trouble. Evildoers assailing him. An army encamps against him. War rises against him. That's a bad time. Which makes verse 4 of chapter 27 so interesting. He says, one thing I have desired. Well, what would that be? Get rid of this army. <laughs> Isn't that the, get rid of my enemies. They're assailing me. Get rid of them. How about this army that's encamped against me? How about these evildoers who are assailing me? One thing I want, get rid of all this trouble. Get rid of all this trouble, God. But one thing have I asked of the Lord, David says, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. He says there is one thing that he is longing for and searching after. Think of all the things that it could be. Peace, security, comfort, ease, not only for himself, but for the nation even that he was in charge of. But what does he desire above all else? To be with God. That I might dwell in your temple. That I might gaze upon your beauty. He desires that he could dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Later on in verse 10, he talks about, um, or verse Verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. He desires to see God. Out of all the things he could have asked for, where his heart is at is that, God, one thing I want, I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to see your face more clearly. His radical position is that whatever God allows to come his way, his greatest desire is for more of God, that I might just be in your temple. All the trouble that may come around me from every side, every enemy and evildoer that may seek to assail me, every army, army that may camp against me, in the midst of all of those things, here's the chief thing that I want above them all. I just want to be with you. I want to dwell in your house forever. I want to gaze upon your beauty. Whatever you may give me, don't fail to give me this. Eyes that see you. That's David's radical prayer. And all the things he could have asked for in his whatever year he's writing this psalm, all the things he could have wanted for his next year, he says, here's the one thing I want. Give me eyes to see you. It's the same thing Paul is saying back in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, he's talking about all of the righteousness that he has and all of the blamelessness he has before the law. But he says all the good things that Paul has coming to him. In verse 8 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. When he says all things, he means all good things too. I've considered the loss of all things, all my security, all my comfort, all of my, all my benefits. I consider all of them rubbish to be cast aside. How can he say that? In order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness, that, of, righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What does Paul desire more than anything else? That I might know him. That I might know him. The power of his resurrection. All the things that Paul could have asked for in his coming year. How about, how about not get shipwrecked? How about not get stoned? How about not get person? How about not get sent to jail? How about have a nice jail cell? How about all the prayers he could have prayed for comfort and ease? And what's he saying? I count everything rubbish compared to this one thing that I might know you, that you might give me eyes to see you more clearly. So what is our prayer for 2020? Thinking about 2019 and thankfulness there, but then what do we want for 2020? We could certainly put a lot of things in our list of desires, couldn't we? But do we confess with the writers of Scripture that our greatest desire is for more of God. This is simultaneously, I think, the most dangerous prayer you can pray and the most rewarding prayer that you can pray. It's the most dangerous prayer because you're saying, God, whatever it takes to get me closer to you, that is what I want. And it's also the most rewarding prayer because the yes to that is that you get God. You get more of God. God may use difficult things to sanctify us and draw us to himself. This prayer is not an escape from danger, but there is no more rewarding prayer that God would give you himself. Truths we must remember when we're, why we want to pray this prayer. There is no greater good than God himself. There is no greater good. He is the creator of good. As the creator of good, there is nothing more good than God. To, want to, to get him is to get the highest good. There is, no great, there is no greater good than God himself. Second thing we must remember, he will not disappoint those who are his on the final day. He will not disappoint those who are his on the final day. It might mean many trials, tribulations, difficulties. Book of Acts tells us through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God, but none who are his will be disappointed on that final day. And thirdly, we must remember that Christ has secured our justification, right standing with God, our sanctification, our growth in godliness, and our final glorification. He's in charge of it all from beginning to end. And so we can boldly pray, God, in 2020, what I want more than anything, one thing have I desired, and that what I would seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of your holiness, that God, I might be drawn near to you. We can pray that prayer because we are secure. God, Jesus Christ is in charge. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He is in charge. And so we can boldly pray this prayer 
and face the trials that it might bring because we know God is not losing charge of those who are his. So practically, what does this mean for us? And I want to encourage us to reflect on this in three different areas for 2020, trying to be just practical. What does this look like? The first area that I want us to think about is what does this look like for us? What does this prayer look like for us in the life of this local church? What does this prayer look like for us in the life of this local church? I hope you do pray for this church. If you don't, make that one of your resolutions for 2020. I'll pray for the church. <laughs> I'm serious. Put this on your prayer list. I hope you care for our gathering, and so therefore you pray for it. But how do you pray for this gathering? With this idea of more of God. We could easily make our prayers just be for one. God, fill the seats. It's a good prayer. I hope it happens. I, I want to see this place filled with people who rejoice in Jesus and love him and are glad to be here. We could be praying to God to, to fill the seats. We could be praying for a comfortable atmosphere, you know, that, that it just would be uh, peaceful and, 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 and happy. We could pray for a comfortable place. We could pray for a peaceful place. We could pray for all of these things and I don't think there's anything wrong with them and wouldn't be anything wrong with God getting a yes to those, to those prayers. But every one of those prayers that we just prayed, we could get a yes to and have no one brought closer to Christ. We could fill the seats. We could have a comfortable place. We could have lots of good fellowship between us. Lots of friendships built. But all of those prayers could be answered and they would be worth nothing if no one was brought closer to Christ, if no one was drawn near to God. Our goals cannot be comfort, ease, popularity. Our prayer for this fellowship must be that God would have his way and that he would be glorified in this fellowship, that God would be honored here. We should be asking, God, what do you want to do here? Not what do I want to have happen here, not what makes me comfortable here, but what does God want to do? How can this place better shine a light for the gospel? So that's one way, that type of idea, one thing that I've desired, that we want God to be honored and glorified in this fellowship. And so whatever that means out of me, whatever that means I have to give up, whatever difficulty that means, whatever friendship I have to try to create in this community that maybe, uh, you know, I've got my, I got my one or two friends that I like in the community, but I've got to try to have fellowship within the larger body, brings uncomfortable uh, situations. If your goal is just to stay comfortable, you'll never do those things. But the prayer is, God, what do you want to have happen in this fellowship? What does it look like in our relationships? In the same way that there are many good prayers you can make for those who are in your life, there are ways to get yes answers to those prayers that don't actually benefit them. What is best for those around you? Ease, comfort, security. Those are all nice things. But what is most needed is to know Christ, is to know Him. Do you ask in your close relationships, God, what do you want to do here? And when you're in a conversation with someone, wait, let's say you're in an argument with someone. You had a disagreement in your, in your close friendships or your marriage or whatever it is. Do you, the question we normally ask is, how can I get my way here? Right? The, the thing I want most, uh, dealing with your children, with your parents, with, with, with your spouse, with friends, the question you generally ask when there's some sort of conversation going on is, how can I have my way here? How often is the question, God, what do you want to do for this person? 
And how can I be used for you to work your purposes in their life? How can I get out of the way? How can my will, my comfort, my ease, my preferences get put aside for the benefit of this other person? Because my desire for myself and for them is that they would know you better. One thing have I desired. It will change the way you view your relationships. It's far more comfortable for us to just keep the circle of friends that we have. And this, this, this prayer changes your relationships because it also pushes you out into, as you go out into the community, what, what relationships does God want you to pursue that really will be a bother to you? I mean, if we're honest, friendships take investment. They take time. They take, you got to care. It takes emotional energy. And if, you're, if your question on, on relationships is, is your own personal comfort and prayer, not, God, what do you want to have happen? One thing do I want that I might know you, that they might know you, then you don't get pushed out into investing in your friends and these relationships that God has out there for you. How does it look in your church? How does it look in your relationships? How does it look for yourself? What does God have for you in 2020? Is your prayer just for an easier year than last year? Not, I mean, not a bad prayer. I, and I hope you do have a, a comfortable year. I, I don't want more tragedy in your life. But at the same time, it's likely that you won't get a free pass and a free ride from here on out to glory. Our lives are going to be full of all sorts of great things and difficult things. And if our prayer is just that only great things happen, what do we do when the difficult things come? We've got to make our prayer higher than that. That God, no matter what comes our way, give us eyes that see you more clearly. One thing do I desire, in trials or in triumphs, that I might know you better. So personally, yourself, don't, it, don't pray just for the ease. Pray that you might know him better. When it comes to your sin, if you can't, if you can't pray this prayer, your battle with sin is never going to be a successful one. Because you're always going to prefer to do what you want to do. <laughs> and when sin, when anger, whenever, whenever, whatever your proclivity is, you're, when you dissociate or you, you pull, draw within yourself, whatever your preferred uh, sin is, if your desire is just for God, give me what I want, then that's, that's no way to fight sin. But if your prayer is, God, I want to see you more clearly, and this is the sin that obscures my eyes from seeing you, there is, a, there is a weapon to fight against sin. So what is our hope and our request for what is next? That whatever it is, whatever is next, that it would draw us closer to him. One thing have I desired, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life that I might gaze upon his beauty. Whether the trials come, whether the triumphs come, God, give me more. of What do you want in 2020? God, give me more of you. I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna close reading this prayer out of the Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. If you want to develop a nice pattern for 2020, this book is a great one to just read through to, to bring some new vibrance to your prayer life. But this one is called Year's End. Years in, a Puritan prayer. It's got some antiquated language, but try to follow through. Years end. O love beyond compare, speaking to God. O love beyond compare. Thou art good when thou givest, when thou takest away. When the sun shines upon me, when night gathers over me. Thou hast loved me. Before the foundation of the world, and in love didst redeem my soul. 
Thou dost love me still. In spite of my hard heart, ingratitude, distrust. Thy goodness has been with me during another year, leading me through a twisting wilderness, in retreat, helping me to advance, when beaten back, making sure headway. Thy goodness will be with me in the year ahead. I hoist sail and draw up anchor with thee as the blessed pilot of my future as of my past. I bless thee that thou hast veiled my eyes to the waters ahead. I can't see what's in front of me. I bless thee that thou hast veiled my eyes to the waters ahead. If thou hast appointed storms of tribulation, thou wilt be with me in them. If I have to pass through tempests of persecution and temptation, I shall not drown. If I am to die, I shall see thy face sooner. If a painful end is to be my lot, grant me grace that my faith fail not. If I am to be cast aside from the service I love, I can make no stipulation. Only glorify thyself in me, whether in comfort or trial, as a chosen vessel always ready for thy use. Let's pray. Father, help us as I look forward to this coming year, thinking back through all the trials, the triumphs, the joys, and the difficulties of the past several years. We do not know what lies ahead. We do not know what trials and tribulations, what joys, what concerns lie on our horizon. The prayer the governing prayer over all of our prayers, God, may it be this, one thing we desire. God, that we might have eyes to see you, that our faith would not fail in the midst of the storms and the trials, but that we might gaze upon your beauty. God, draw us nearer to you, no matter what comes our way. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.